Let me, uh, let me ask you a question. Can tell you the truth get you in trouble? I guess it would, define, it would depend on how we define trouble, right? This man was pulled over by a cop, made to get out of the car. And he said, sir, do you realize you were driving 85 miles an hour? And he said, oh, officer, you cannot be right. That is impossible. I'm the most law-abiding driver you've ever seen. I never exceed the speed limit, no matter what the circumstance. And the officer leans through the front window and says to the wife, he says, is that true? She sheepishly holds her head and says, no, that's not true. I have to tell the truth. He drives like a maniac. He speeds wherever he goes. His driving scares me to death. So the police officer begins to write out a ticket. And he's saying to the guy, he says, I noticed you didn't have your seatbelt on. He said, oh, officer, you just could not be right. He said, I always wear my seatbelt. And, uh, you know, I, I just would never not have my seatbelt. All due respect. He leans in the window. He says to the wife, is that true? She says, man, are you kidding? He never wears his seatbelt. He says, I bet you would find cobwebs in the little hooker thing where you put it together. And uh, so he begins to write out a ticket for no seatbelt. The man le- leans through the window and says, Wife, what are you doing for me? Will you please shut your mouth? The police officer leans back in to the window and he says, Ma'am, does he always talk to you like that? She says, No, only when he's drunk. <laughs> so telling the truth can get you in trouble or it can get your spouse in trouble. Maybe that's why the statistics about lying are so incredibly high. Recently, the New York Times ran an article that says 91% of people regularly lie, with 20% saying they can't get through the day without telling a premeditated conscious lie. This study is a little bit old, but according to a Massachusetts study in 2002 where they set some people in the room and they, I guess they asked them specific questions, 60% of those adults in a 10-minute conversation lied at least once. But what's even worse, that if of the 60% that lied, they told an average of three lies in that 10 minutes. I guess it had to what they did in the study, but they told lies that way. According to the, the study, The Day America Told the Truth, which was this big survey, anonymous survey, 86% of us lie regularly uh, to our parents. That's where we lie the most. We lie to our parents, 86% of us say we lie to our, or 75% say we lie to our friends, 73% to our, 73% to our siblings, 69% to our spouses. Fortunately, we tell our spouses the truth more times than our parents. But in general, we lie about things that are really unimportant to us. According to the Scientific American, a whopping 90% of people online dating on their profiles, 90% lie. And women, according to statistics, women weigh eight pounds less than they actually do. And, uh, and men, on their, according to their profiles, they're taller, richer, and more educated than they actually are. Now, what a contrast to the Sermon on the Mount. What a contrast to what the Lord Jesus tells us in this message. Now, if you happen to be our guest, let me tell you that for the summer, for these summer weeks, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Actually, we're going to be going sometime into the fall, dealing with, uh, with this text, early fall. But uh, Jesus has been, the, the basic premise of the Sermon on the Mount has been this. What does it look like for you and me to follow Jesus? In other words, if I'm going to be a follower of Christ, what is my life what should it be like? And what we've been saying is that Jesus is painting a picture for us. That's for us, followers of Jesus. What does it look like to be like him? And he showed us how uncontrolled anger, 
He showed us how unbridled sexual lust, and he showed us how easy any cause divorces can so clearly destroy relationships. And he says that we are to be different than that. Now Jesus is going to turn his attention to probably one of the most destructive things, or at least way up there as far as statistically. We go one of the most destructive things Uh, One of the most destructive parts of our body, which would be our tongue or our mouth, and we're going to talk about lying. So let's read the text. You've got your Bibles open, Matthew 5. We're going to look at verse 33 through verse 37 this morning. And following, but I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven because it's God's throne, or by the earth because it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem because it's the city of the great king. Neither should you swear by your head because you cannot make a single hair white or black. So what does Jesus mean there? What, what is he saying? You know, the, the plain reading of the text almost seems to be saying that you should never take an oath in a court of law. or there, there would you, you know, you're sinning to take an oath, but that's not what Jesus means. And the reason we know that is because of how the Bible helps us understand the Bible. Here's an interpretation principle that you ought to apply to your reading of the Bible. The Bible helps us interpret the Bible. So when there's a place that you don't really understand what it means, you know, look at other places in the scripture. Let them speak to that text when it's hard for us to grab hold of what it means. But I'm going to read from you from Matthew, same book, chapter 23, beginning with verse 15. If you want to follow there, it's a lengthy, a little bit lengthy passage, but you ought definitely, if you're taking notes, I see some of you are, you ought to write that text down. Matthew 23, verse 15. And this is a confrontation that Jesus has with Pharisees at a different time, the religious leadership. And i got to tell you, this is brutal. This is brutal what Jesus says to them, okay? Uh, and we're just going to pick up a portion of it, but listen to what he says beginning in verse 15. Again, there's been more, to, more before this, there's more after it, but we're going to look at the piece that just pertains to this oath-taking, all right? So verse 15, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you travel over land and sea to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as fit for hell as you are. Woe to you blind guides, you say. Now listen, whoever takes an oath by the sanctuary, it means nothing. But whoever takes an oath by the gold of the sanctuary is bound by his oath. Blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the sanctuary that sanctified the gold? Also, whoever takes an oath by the altar, it means nothing. So say the Pharisees, that was my insertion. But whoever takes an oath by the gift that is on it is bound by his oath. Blind people, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, the one who takes an oath by the altar takes an oath by it and by everything on it. And the one who takes an oath by the sanctuary takes an oath by it and by him who dwells in it. The one who takes an oath by heaven takes an oath by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Here's what Jesus says to the Pharisees, if you didn't get it, and it's pretty self-explanatory. He says, you people are fools. He says, really, you are being very, very foolish. You think that somehow or another you can swear. This is what the Pharisees said. If you swear by the temple, by the sanctuary, you can break that oath. And so, you know, people would use these frivolous oaths, I swear by the temple, so as to somehow validate what they were saying. But the Pharisees would say, well, if you swear by the temple, you can break what you say. But if you swear by the gold on the temple, man, you're bound by that. You cannot break that. If you swear by the altar, you can break that vow. You can, you can make that, you can, evidently they're, they're saying you can use oaths to deceive people. So if you swear by the altar, you can break that. But if you swear by the sacrifice that's on the altar, you can't break that. Jesus says, man, you guys are so foolish. 
What is greater, the gold on the temple or the temple that makes the gold anything? Or, or the sac- what's greater, the altar where the sacrifice is being altered to God, offered to God or, or the sacrifice? He says, man, it's ridiculous. The, it's, the, it's the temple that sanctifies the gold. You, you can't distinguish. In other words, if you're going to make any vow at all, keep the vow. He then goes on to talk about in that same passage in Matthew, he says, if you take an oath, and he goes on to say, if you take an oath by all kinds of things, then, you know, you are taking an oath and a vow and you need to keep it. All right. And so we go back to the text that we're looking at this morning. Jesus said, if you swear by the, if you swear by heaven, you're swearing by God's throne. If you swear by the earth, you're swearing by God's footstool. If you swear by Jerusalem, it's by his, it's his city you're swearing by. If you swear by the head, by your head, and again, evidently, these are things that the Pharisees said that you can, you can lie, you can break these vows. You know, he's saying, this is, this is just frivolous nonsense. You can't, even, you can't even affect the color of your hair. Now, I know we live in a day that you can do that, but back then you couldn't, you know, you really can't change the color of your hair, right? When it turns white, it's gone. You can color it, but it's gone. So Jesus is basically saying, guys, this is, this is wrong what you're doing trying to, to, to divide these little things and say you can swear and break it by this or you can take an oath and you have to keep it over here, that is ridiculous. But then going back to what Jesus said in the text, he's saying to us, don't even do any of that. Don't take any of those frivolous, those frivolous oaths. Don't, don't swear by the altar or by the, by the sacrifice on the altar. Don't swear by the gold of the temple or the temple. Just don't take any of those frivolous those frivolous oaths. I think for us today, it would be things like this. You know, when, when our conversations and we want somebody to, to, to believe us, right? We're really serious about it. What kind of things do we say? Hopefully we don't say these, but we, I swear by God. I swear to God that this is the truth, right? Or I remember as a kid, cross my heart and hope to die, right? That's sort of, that's sort of one of these oaths. Here's what Jesus is saying. We don't need to do any of that. You don't need to do any of that. Jesus is not trying to say that in a court of law, you can't, you can't take an oath for, you know, a, a, an oath that's, that's dealing with the government. That's not what he's saying. He's saying we're not to take this frivolous kind of, I'm, gonna, I'm going to authenticate what I'm saying by swearing to it to somehow give it credence. You and I are not to do that. And that brings me to the third and the final and actually the most important thing. Because remember, in all of this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has always said, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. Man, I say lust in your heart is just as evil. You've heard it said, you know, don't murder. But I'm telling you, anger in your heart towards your brother or someone else makes you just as guilty. And so here, here's the same deal. Jesus is going underneath the surface and he's basically saying, don't, don't take frivolous oaths at all. And here's why. Because you and I should be people of pristine integrity. You and I should be people who are just absolutely committed to telling the truth. Verse 37. But let your word yes be yes, and your no be no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. You and I are not to manipulate our words to, to get our own way. That's wrong. We are, when we say something, we are to mean it. So our yes means yes, and our no means no. And there's a point that Jesus is making here that's very profound that you and I need to grab hold of. There's no distinction between the sacred and the secular. There's no distinction between you know, me talking to you and keeping my word here and me talking in community or me talking in business or me talking in sports. 
You know, I can't, I'm not to separate those things. And so I have to tell the truth in this context of me being a believer in the body of Christ. I've got to tell the truth. But over here in the world, I can, I can lie and fudge and whatever, you know, to, to get ahead. Jesus is saying, by this, he's saying, listen, you, you cannot divide this. Your yes is to always be yes, and your no is to always be no. Again, John MacArthur says, and I quote, life cannot be divided into neat, watertight compartments. We cannot use one kind of language in the church and another kind in the office. There cannot be one kind of ethics in the church and another kind of ethic in the business world. That They need to match. Now, why is this such a big deal to Jesus? Why does he care that you and I be people of integrity and that we speak the truth? Why does he care about that? I'm going to give you two reasons. Number one, he cares about it because it affects my relationship with him. I don't know if you know this or not, but, but truth-telling is a huge thing for God in his Bible. In Psalm 51, verse 6, he says, God desires in all of us truth in the innermost being. See, because truth in the innermost being comes out in the outermost being. You know, if, if what comes out in the outermost being is, is lies and deception, what's on the inside is not truth. God desires truth on the inside that comes out. Of the seven things that God hates in Proverbs 6, 16 to 17, you know, one of them is a lying tongue, and two of them have to do with deception, all right? The things that God hates is a lying tongue, people who don't tell the truth. And then he says, the destiny of all liars is the lake of fire, the second death, Revelation 21, verse 8. I mean, this is serious business. Lying affects your relationship with God. So there's, there's, this is important. This is important for us to get, important for us to understand. The th- second reason why this is so important to Jesus, and listen, is because it affects our relationship with one another. Lying affects how we relate to each other. In his book, Visioneering, Andy Stanley says this. I thought this was so, I mean, this just gripped my heart, especially the last part. I'm going to read you three little quotes. Moral authority is the critical, non-negotiable, can't be without an ingredient of sustained influence. Moral authority is the credibility you earn by walking your talk. It is the relationship other people see between what you say and what you do, between what you claim to be and what you are. And I thought about that as it relates to my children as a parent. You know, if you, if you want to have moral authority with your children, then you've got to be a person who walks your talk and lives, because nobody sees you like your kids, other than maybe your spouse. Nobody sees you like your kids do. That's where they're going to see whether, whether you're real. Let me go on. Nothing compensates for lack of moral authority. No amount of communication skills, wealth, accomplishment, education, talent, or position can make up for a lack of moral authority. But this next quote from him is what just really just got a hold of my heart. He says, we will not allow ourselves... We will not allow ourselves to be influenced by those who lack moral authority in our eyes. I mean, let that sink in. We will not allow ourselves to be influenced by those who lack moral authority in our eyes. And I thought about my parenting. You know, my kids are grown now, and so our, our work is done. I guess if the Lord gives us grandkids one day, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have a... You know, our work is not done. I mean, I can still influence my children, but I can remember when they're small, and I just, I'm just thinking, Lord, was this true? You know, did, you know, 
did I have moral authority in my kids' eyes because they saw consistency in my life? In, in, Andy goes on, inconsistency between what is said and what is done inflicts a mortal wound on a leader's influence. Whether that leader is a church leader, a business leader, a, a father or mother family leader, inflicts a mortal wound on a leader's influence. For this reason, moral authority is a fragile thing. It takes a lifetime to earn, but it can be lost in a moment. And once it is lost, it is almost impossible to restore. I remember hearing a story by, uh, by an evangelist that I loved. And I heard him preach one year. And I mean, I just loved this guy. I won't, even, I won't name him, but I loved this guy. I loved to hear him. And then I think it was like two years later, I heard him again in a different setting. You know, he was so popular, everybody asked him. And at that, and at that uh, second talk, he told the same story from, from the one before, but he told it like it happened to him the week before. And you might say, well, that's just a little thing. It was still a true story. It still happened to him. But I want to tell you, I don't, that did something to me. That did something to me. Uh, when I heard him tell a story as if it happened last week, when I had heard it two years earlier, in, in another talk of his. It was just a little thing, just a little thing, but it affected me greatly. Credibility gaps between what we say and what we do are so damaging to our interpersonal relationships with one another. They affect the way we see one another, the way we respect one another, the way we listen to one another. And that's why it's such a big deal to God. That's why God cares about your lying, because it's gonna affect your relationship with him, but it's gonna affect your relationship with each other, all right? Uh, Satan, it, one more thing here before we finish up the text from this morning. It says, uh, Jesus at the end of the text, he says, anything else is of the evil one. You see that? Let me go all the way back here. See if I can find it. Anyway, he says, In, anything else than your yes being yes and your no being no. He says, that's, that's of the evil one. You know, I thought about why he says that. Because Satan is the evil one and he's the father of lies, Right? He's the one that's always lying. That's, that's, what the, that's what the text says. John 8, verse 44, he's the father of lies. Would it be surprising to us that the one who is such a liar would, would want us to, to not follow suit with him? He, he does. And, and he's always pushing in our lives that we might become, become liars. So that's the text. That's what Jesus is challenging us to this morning. If you make an oath, keep an oath. Don't make frivolous oaths. You don't have to do that. You shouldn't do that. You don't need to substantiate your word in conversations and relationship with, I swear this to be true. He doesn't want you to do that. And the third thing, of course, is the most important. He says to us, his followers, our word has to be true. Our yes is yes and our, our no is no. So what I'd like to do in the next few moments as we end is I would... Um, I would like to challenge us or help us build integrity in our lives. And I want to give you three, these are just Jimmy's. These are not necessarily out of the word of God. I think they're true to the word of God, but these are just me thinking, how would I build integrity in my life? How do you build integrity in your life? And I want to give you three suggestions, three applications on how to do that. Okay, so here's the first one. Acknowledge to yourself this morning how difficult this really is. Acknowledge to yourself how difficult it really is to be a person who always tells the truth. Now, we lie, I think, for three reasons. We, we lie to hurt people on purpose. 
Now, hopefully we don't lie very often for that reason, right? But Satan in the Garden of Eden lies to, to Eve for the very purpose of destroying her. And let's face it, sometimes we lie to hurt people, right? I mean, that, hopefully that's the least. But another overarching reason we lie is to protect others, okay? We, we lie to uh, protect uh, their feelings, and we lie maybe to protect their lives. You know, uh, the uh, Hebrew midwives in the book of Genesis. Was it Genesis? Um, yeah, Genesis. They, they, was it Genesis? Help me out. Where? Exodus, thank you. Okay, Exodus. Sorry, brain freeze. Um, they lie to protect the Hebrew midwives. They lie about why they're not able to kill all the little children. Rahab lies to protect the two spies uh, there in Jericho. So there's examples of people lying to protect others. They're not advocating that. Not advocating, not even trying to address the issue, is that ever right or wrong? I'm just telling you, we lie sometimes to protect others. We, we are most likely lying to protect people's feelings. So when your wife says, this dress made me look fat, you say, of course not, whether it does or not, right? You know, you know the answer there. Or, you know, when you, you ladies might lie when you say, oh, honey, you're just as strong as an ox. Well, you're, no, you're kind of lying there when they're not really, right? So um, we, we lie to protect people's feelings. But the second reason that I want to give you, it's one in the middle, and I, I did them out of order, but... We, we lie to protect ourselves. This is, where we, this, is where, this is where we stumble the most when it comes to truth-telling. We, we, we lie to protect ourselves, and we lie to provide for ourselves. And that, that is the area where I think we, we really we need to zone in or hone in on just a little bit uh, right now. Let me, let me show you a couple of ways that we do that, okay? We lie to protect ourselves from the consequences of our actions. We, we lie so that we don't have to reap that which is coming because of what we've done. Four students arrived late for the examination. They were told if you arrive late, you are not going to get to take the exam. So they got there late and uh, they went to the teacher and they pled their case and they said, we, we, we had a flat tire. And the sympathetic teacher said, well, I understand that, but you know, if, I'd said if you're late, you don't get to take the exam, but I'll have mercy on you. So each of you go to different corners and, uh, and we'll start this exam. So she did. She gave them all a piece of paper and she said, okay, now before we take the test, you've got to answer one question before you actually take the exam. And so the question was this, which tire? Which tire? Stephen Covey says, while we are free to choose our actions, we are not free to choose the consequences of our actions. I believe that to be true. But we lie to try to minimize those consequences as often as possible. Not, not that we should do that, not that every one of you does that, but we, we, if we're going to lie to protect ourselves, that's where we're lying. We're lying to protect ourselves from the consequences of our wrong action. Another place that we'll lie to protect ourselves uh, is we'll, we'll lie to protect ourselves, our pride, because we want to be esteemed by others. And so instead of telling the truth that makes us look bad, we tend to lie. We tend to skew the truth. We tend to manipulate words to make ourselves look better than, than we are, to put ourselves in the best light, to make ourselves more palatable if, if indeed we know we have done wrong. So we spin and we lie. And we see this in politicians all the time, don't we? We call it spinning. 
And what are they doing? They're taking the truth and they're trying to skew it in such a way that it looks better than what the truth really, really is. And we have a tendency to do that. I say we, all of us, including us as believers, I believe. So we're late to a luncheon and we walk in the door and say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm late. The, what do we say? The traffic was terrible, right? And really, we didn't leave in time. Or we walk in and we might say, hey, I had a phone call right before I walked out the door and I just had to take it, right? That's the reason I'm late. Really, that's, that's not the reason we're late. The truth is, the truth is something else. You know, I, I valued that phone call. You know, we don't want to say that because it makes us look bad, you know, or we don't say, hey, I didn't prepare early enough. I didn't leave early enough to get there on, on time. And so we skew things to make ourselves look better than we are. Instead of owning our failures and clearly being, clearly being honest, we color them in our favor. And the third way we lie, I think, is, to, is we skew the truth to get ahead to win, okay? To win, and usually this, this, this involves the area of finances. We want to win financially. We want to get ahead. And it doesn't have to be finances. It can be in the job as well. We lie so that we might get a better position. We lie so we might make more money. I've told this story many times, but I remember when, for those of you that are guests, there's a basement under this part of the building. That's where the children are now. And uh, when the guy was going to dig out that basement, you know, I looked him in the eye and I said, can you start this day and finish by this day because we've got it all lined up and it has to happen. And if you cannot do that, please don't tell me you can, because if you do, you're going to mess us up. He looked me in the eye and said, oh, I can do that. I was here three days, never came back. We missed the window. It cost us months of time. You know, that man lied to get ahead. He lied to get the job. He lied to get a job where he obviously had no intention of doing what I had asked him to do. We buy something at Walmart, and so, so we, look at, we, we buy something at Walmart, we break it, and we take it back, and they said, why are you bringing this back? And we say, because I don't want it anymore, when the reality is we may have broke it. We, we justify that by saying, well, Walmart's big. They're, I mean, they got so much money, they're not going to take this. This isn't going to hurt them, but it'll really hurt me. And besides, we say, I really don't want it anymore, because <laughs> it's broken. All that... All I'm saying, all of this to say to you this morning, my first point, and maybe I'm, the, maybe I'm preaching only to myself, maybe the rest of you do not struggle with this, but we have to acknowledge how difficult it is to be a truthful person all the time. To be a truthful person all the time, to not spin, to not fudge, to not try to skew the facts to make me look better than I am. Or, or to, to somehow manipulate the numbers or whatever so that I get ahead financially or so that I get that position over this person because I'm not being honest. That's not what God desires of us. When Jesus says to you and to me, he says, I want your yes to be yes and your no to be no, he's basically talking about all of this. He wants us to be people of, of pristine integrity. Let me go on to the second one. Here's the second way I think that we develop integrity in our lives. Number one is recognizing how hard it is. If you just think this is easy, and maybe you don't struggle with it, but if you're not willing to acknowledge it and you have a problem with it, you're not going to get any better. Number two, admit wrongdoing and swiftly ask for forgiveness. Here's what I mean. As soon as you recognize you spun the story, as soon as you recognize you didn't tell the truth, that's when you have to stop. Admit to God, admit to yourself, and, and, then, and then fix it. Come clean immediately. Come clean immediately. 
Um, I believe nothing will change us in this area of rooting out lying out of our lives than to, to, be, to deal with, with these things quickly in our lives. It's when they sit that we begin to justify, well, I don't really need to go back and fix it because it's, you know, it's been a week now, it's all past us, you know, or whatever. Deal with it immediately. Now, every time that I've had this talk on, on lying, the same thing happens to me. I mean, I recognize this is, this is tough. And I, and I always, I do with the third point, which I haven't got to yet. I always do the third point. And, and I try to live the second one out. And so let me give you an illustration. This has been working on me. And so I borrow George's lawnmower and it breaks under my driving it. Man, that just happens to me all the time. <laughs> you borrow something and it breaks. And so I called Beverly and I said, Beverly, I said, I need to get George's lawnmower fixed. I broke it. And uh, I said, who's the, who's the guy that, um, that works on your lawnmower? And Beverly told me his name is Bailey. She gave me the number and all. And so this morning I tell George that I broke his lawnmower. And this is what I say to George. And I've already set up an appointment with Mr. Bailey to take your lawnmower there. And immediately the Holy Spirit said to me, Jimmy, that's not true. You got Mr. Bailey's number. You're planning on doing that. But you haven't done it yet. Now, why did I say it that way? Why did I do that? Because I wanted George to think that I'm really on top of this, right? And, and that I've already taken care of it. I lied. You say, well, that's not really. Yeah, I lied. I skewed the truth. I tried to make myself look better than I really am. You'd be surprised if you say, if you decide, hey, this is really, a, this, is, this is something serious, and you try to start, you're going to find, you do this, I think you'll find, like I said, I'm probably the only one, but you'll find you do this more often than you want to do it, spending stuff to make yourself look better. We have to admit we're wrong. And so immediately I said to George, George, I need to practice what I'm going to speak about this morning. I'm sorry, brother. I just, that's not true. I haven't lined up an, I haven't lined up an appointment with Mr. Bailey, but I've got his number and I'm going to. That, that's what we're talking about. That kind, now, the more I do that, I think the more I will be inclined not to do that, right? The more, the more I keep short accounts, the more I'll be inclined not to do that. All right, Corey Ten Boone said in her autobiography, The Hiding Place, the blood of Jesus never cleanses an excuse. So let's stop making excuses and let's just start doing what's right. The Lord Jesus is a promise keeper for real. He's rock solid in his promises. And he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse us of our sin. Now, the last thing, this is how I think you and I can do better at truth telling and being a person of integrity. Number three, commit yourself to telling the truth. Decide today, I want to, I want to be a truth teller all the time. Someone has said, reliability builds credibility. Or how about this one? Practice makes perfect. The key to defeating lying in your life is it begins with, I think it begins with a decision and not a decision one time because I just told you a minute ago, I've made this decision so many times. Lord, I don't want to skew truth. I don't want to make myself look better than I am. I don't, I want to be honest. I want to be truthful in my inner parts. I've said that time. You, this is something you got to say all the time. Something you got to keep coming back to because in, in and of our sinful selves, we're going to tend to go back to that. King David said, Lord, who may live in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? He whose walk is blameless, who keeps his oath even when it hurts. And so you know what? Telling truth sometimes is going to hurt us, but we need to tell the truth always. The test, this is Ann Hibbert in Life Work Journal. The test of character comes when being truthful endangers what you want. That's the real, that's the real test right there. Victory begins with a change in direction. 
Think how our integrity and credibility will grow, how our relationships will be improved, how our relationship with God will, be, will grow if we just choose to be a person of integrity. Bill Hybel said, and I end with this, God's concern is that we become habitual truth tellers. And I couldn't say it better. That's what he desires. He wants me to be not an habitual liar, but an habitual truth teller. I can't help it. I've got to tell the truth. And I've got to tell the truth with no, with no spinning, no fudging, no, no trying to make myself look better than I am. It's just telling the truth. And so that's what I want to challenge all of us to today. Bow your heads with me for just a moment. I ask you to do that simply that you might focus on, on what I'm going to say here for just a moment, but let's make every word we speak a truthful word, unadorned and unqualified. Let's let our words be as good as our signature. Let's mean, that we, let's mean what we say and say what we mean, whatever the cost. Let's choose today to be a person of integrity, a person whose, whose word is his bond, a person whose, whose word is as valuable as anything else he or she owns. I'm just going to be quiet for a couple of minutes and you talk to God. Like I said, if, you, if this is a struggle, if, you know, just admit that to God. And make a choice. Make a choice to say, God, I want to be a person of integrity. God, I want to be a person who keeps short accounts. And so as soon as you point it out to me, I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to come clean. I'm going to, I'm going to own up to the truth. I'm going to confess my, my skewing of the truth. Two thoughts before I close in prayer and then we'll be dismissed. The first one is, is this. You know, Jesus started off this, this, these words by saying this. Stop doing those frivolous, law, those frivolous oaths where you try to, to substantiate your word by swearing by the temple or by the gold or whatever. Quit doing that. Don't do that. Here's what I want to say to you, and I promise this is true. If you become a person of truth, you will never need to take an oath because your word will be your bond. Your word will be gold. Your, your integrity will be stellar. That's not going to happen overnight, but it'll happen, it'll happen over time as you become that person and that person of truth. And the last thing I want to say before we dismiss is this, and listen carefully. Maybe you're just our guest this morning, first time you've come to our church. I want you to understand something that we're not accepted by God because we don't lie. I mean, all of us, I don't care who you are, I don't care how well you do at managing to tell the truth, you know, we're all sinners. We're all going to be prone to this, this sin of lying, okay? The good news for us as a church family, the good news for you is that Jesus died to help you. He died to save you from the consequence of your sin, but he also died to change you so that you can be a truth teller. But to become a truth teller begins by following him, begins by letting Jesus work in your life to a place where he takes charge, he takes control, and he changes you into his image. So if you happen to not know the Lord Jesus, I want to invite you to talk to me afterwards. I'd love to tell you about him and how he changes our lives. Even though at times like your pastor here, it's a, <laughs> it's a slow process. It's a lifetime process, actually, for all of us. Let me pray. God, thank you that you don't give up on us. Thank you that, Lord, you're constantly admonishing and challenging us to, to, greater, to greater holiness, as we began our service this morning, John talked about being holy disciples, about living in lives that are holy and pleasing to you. And that's what we want to do. And that includes this area of telling the truth. So Lord, would you work in all of our hearts today that we might become just stringent truth tellers, Lord, because that's who you are. You never lie. Help us to tell the truth like you in all things. And, and may our lives, because of that, point people to Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. 
Thanks for listening. This message has been brought to you by Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. And if you'd like to learn more about our church, please visit us on the web at www.baconscastle.com.